Well, today we are wrapping up our series called The Path, where we've been taking the last six weeks to look at the wisdom found in the Old Testament book of Proverbs, and we've learned a big thought, a big just sort of uh, life principle in this series. Hopefully you've got it memorized by now, and hopefully it's something that you'll keep memorized for the rest of your life. Go ahead and say it with me. They're going to put it on the screens for you, that my direction, not my intentions, determines my what? My destination. Let's say it again. My direction, not my intentions determines my destination. Now, the illustration I've been using with you throughout the entire series has been Interstate 81, right behind me here. That if you get on Interstate 81 and you just keep heading north, eventually you're going to get to the town of Orleans. Every single time, that's where 81 ends. You will get to Orleans. It's a very, very predictable destination. Now, I did a little bit of research, went on to, to Google, did some Google Maps uh, stuff, and found that Orleans is 335 miles from our parking lot here at Exponential to get to Orleans. So about a tank of gas for most vehicles. Now I want you to imagine this scenario. Someone says to you, I will give you $1 million if right now you leave Exponential, get in your car, and drive all the way to Orleans. Sounds like a pretty good deal, right? Just got to get in your car and go to a very predictable destination. But here's the catch. They say that you have to do it on just one tank of gas. Well, that's okay as long as you have a full tank of gas right now. Remember, you're not allowed to refuel. So what if your car doesn't have a full tank of gas right now? Or what if your car is leaking some gas? What if you don't have a very fuel-efficient car? What if at some point you get off of 81 maybe to, to get something to eat and then you somehow can't get back on the 81 and, and you're like, oh no, I'm, I'm, I'm off path now. But then eventually you get back on, but because you went off on a little bit of a detour, maybe you've added you know, dozens, if not even another 100 miles to the trip. And remember, you can only do it in one tank of gas in order to get the million dollars. And what if you get to the place where you realize, you know what? I'm on the right path, I'm on 81, but I'm not going to make it. The destination is unreachable. What do you do in those situations? Well, as I've been sharing with you, the whole series has been based not on just the book of Proverbs, but a little book that Andy Stanley wrote many years ago called The Principle of the Path. Andy writes this in the, the book. I'm going to quote a longer passage from it here. He says, some destinations are unreachable. Some dreams won't come true. Some dreams can't come true. Some destinations become unreachable because of lifestyle choices. Some are unreachable because of a single decision. Some destinations are out of reach because of mistakes that we've made. Some are out of reach because of decisions other people have made. Sometimes we're to blame. Sometimes there's no one to blame. In time, the reason behind our inability to get where we want to becomes irrelevant. We are where we are. We aren't where we want to be, and there's nothing that can be done to change that. I believe everybody faces this kind of disappointment at some point. Time is often the culprit. Vince Lombardi, the famed coach of the Green Bay Packers, said, we didn't lose the game, we just ran out of time. Perhaps with unlimited time, we could make more of our dreams come true. If we could stop the clock, we might be able to reach any destination that we choose. But there aren't any timeouts in life. The clock is always running. At some point, we wake to the realization that whatever it is, our dreams are not going to happen. Now, long before Andy Stanley ever wrote those words, 
Solomon said something very similar. Look at Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12. Solomon writes, Not getting that which you had hoped for crushes the heart. You ever been there before? Where you get to a place where you realize that the destination is unreachable, that what you wanted isn't going to happen. And oh man, that crushes the heart. Maybe it's the realization that, okay, this marriage isn't going to last until death do us part. Or the realization that you're not going to be able to have kids. Or to get that job or that promotion that you wanted. That the dream boy or girl that you thought that you were going to one day marry, they're now actually getting married to somebody else. Crushes the heart. Emotionally, it drains us. And in those moments, when when our emotions are, are running high, we often have cloudy thinking and we're not thinking straight. And that leads to getting even further off the path then. Because what we start to make bad decisions. It's when emotions are running high like this, that's why a lot of addictions get started. This is where a lot of affairs get started. Where a lot of bad financial decisions are made. Where revenge rears its ugly head. Where bitterness and and jealousy steal our joy. So the question is, what do you do when the destination is unreachable? You're on the right path but you realize you're not going to get there. You know, this is why I'm so thankful for God's Word. Because not only is it a a book of how to live life, it's also a book that has a lot of stories of real men and real women who went through some incredible highs, but then some very real lows. And it's in those real lows that we see God time and time and time again come through for each and every one of those people. And so I want to share one of those stories with you here today. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to 2 Samuel chapter... uh, Actually, just turn to 2 Samuel. We're going to be all throughout the the book today. Turn to 2 Samuel. Welcome to those of you that are watching online today. There's a little button in the upper right-hand corner there called Talk Notes. If you push that, that'll give you all the scriptures we're going to be looking at. For those of you that are live here in the room with us, if you pull out your smartphone, that'll give you all the talk notes as well if you go to our website, exponential.church. Now, as you're continuing to turn to 2 Samuel, and we will start with uh, chapter 13, let me give you a little bit of a context of what we're going to look at here today. Remember, Solomon, he writes the, the book of Proverbs, and Solomon was the king of Israel after his father David was the king. But did you know that Solomon was never intended to be the king? Solomon was actually third in succession. He wasn't supposed to be the king. You're going, well, what happened? Why why did Solomon become the king and not one of his two older brothers? Well, that's the story I want to share with you here today. Now, to really understand it, we got to backtrack many, many years before when Solomon's father, David, had first become the king. You remember David, he had an affair with a, a married woman by the name of Bathsheba. And he gets Bathsheba pregnant, and eventually, to try to cover up his sin, David decides to murder her husband, Uriah. Eventually, David's sin is found out, David repents of his sin, and God allows him to continue on as the king. Now, fast forward many years later, David's probably now in his late 40s, early 50s, he has a lot of kids by many different women, and his oldest son is a guy by the name of Amnon. 
And Amnon is the one that's supposed to become the next king of Israel. Here's the problem. Amnon fell in love, or should I say he fell in lust with his sister. Her name was Tamar. Here's what we read. 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 2. Amnon became so obsessed with Tamar that he became ill. She was a virgin, and Amnon thought that he could never have her. This is what Solomon was talking about here. His, his heart is, is crushed. What he wants, he can't have. Now, he shouldn't have that. I mean, just like in our day and time, incest was a big no-no. He, he can't have his sister. But his heart is crushed, and he wants what he wants. And so he devises a plan to, to try to see if maybe she feels the same way about him. And so he pretends to be ill, and he tells his father, he says, Father, I, I can't make it to dinner tonight. Could, could you have my sister Tamar like prepare a meal for me and, and, and bring it to my room? I'm sick in bed. And so Tamar brings the, the meal to the room. And Amnon tells all of his servants, he's like, all right, everybody, clear, clear the room. My sister will take care of me. He says, sister, I, I need you to, to spoon feed me my food. So she's like, man, he, he must be really sick. I mean, he can't even lift a spoon up. She comes over to the bed and she starts to feed him. And he reaches out and he grabs her and he confesses, I'm in love with you and I want to sleep with you right now. She's like, no, we can't do that. We're brother and sister. But he insists, no, 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 no. I'm in love with you. We, we need to do this. We, we need to get married. We need to have children together. She's like, no, no, we can't, we can't do this. It's against the law. We, we can't do it. And he keeps insisting. And she keeps saying no. And ultimately what we read in Scripture is he pins her down and he rapes her. When David finds out about this, he is furious. But he doesn't do anything about it. Now why? Why didn't he do anything? Well, maybe he doesn't want to disgrace the one that's next in line to the throne, the heir to the throne. Maybe David still has shame about his own sexual sin from the past. But for whatever the reason, he doesn't do anything. Tamar, she tells her brother Absalom what has happened. Absalom decides he is going to do something about it. And you know, out of all of David's children, Absalom was probably the one that was most like David. He was, you know, tall and dark and handsome. He was very charismatic. He was a natural born leader. And just like David, he was very patient. Very patient. And so Absalom waits two years in order to exact his revenge. When the time was right, when everybody thought that this had all blown over, Absalom invites all of his brothers and sisters to a big party at the house. He gets them all drunk, and then he kills his brother, Amnon. He then flees the country. Once again, David is is heartbroken. And one night he has lost his heir to the throne and he's lost now another son who has fled the country. 
And David knows that he is the one that needs to do something about this. He needs to send his troops after Absalom to arrest them so he can be tried and and persecuted for what he's done. Once again, David does nothing. And why? Why isn't David doing anything? No, we're not quite sure. Three years go by. David and Absalom began to miss one another. Absalom's still in in exile in another country. David sends his right-hand man, a guy by the name of Joab, to go track him down. And he says, tell him that he can come back to Jerusalem and, and we'll put him up in a house near the palace and he can live there in peace. And so that's exactly what happens. Absalom is invited back. However, once he's back, David never invites him to to spend any time with them. They never get together. And so Absalom, he calls for Joab, and he's like, hey, you know, can you try to set up an appointment with my dad here? But Joab never responds. And so Absalom sends another messenger to Joab. Hey, try to set up an appointment. I want to get together with my dad. I need to talk to him. Joab doesn't respond. It happens a third time. Another messenger. Joab doesn't respond. Finally, Absalom's so fed up with the whole situation that he goes to the home of Joab and he actually burns his entire fields down. When Joab finds out who's responsible for it, he confronts Absalom and he goes to him. And Absalom's like, okay, now I got your attention. I'm telling you, I need to talk to my father. And so Joab arranges a a time that they're able to actually get together and talk about this whole situation. Now, you would think that after everything that's happened, after all that's gone on, all these years have passed, that this would be a couple chapters in Scripture that we would read about this reunion that they had and what was said. However, it's only one sentence. We find it in 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 33. Then at last, David summoned Absalom, who came and bowed low before the king, and the king kissed him. That's it. That's all we know of what happened. Very short, very formal, not what Absalom had in mind at all. What we do know is this. This is the last time that these two would see each other. Now, we can speculate all day long. Why wasn't David willing to bridge the gap between father and son here? Well, you know, even in the most healthiest of families, sometimes father and son relationships can be strained and and a little bit difficult, much less in a situation like this where both men were carrying so much baggage. In any case, this whole thing doesn't sit well with Absalom, and his bitterness then turned into a desire for revenge. Over the next four years, Absalom, every single day, went out to the city gate in Jerusalem and he just met with the common man and the common women. And he started to gain their trust. And all of a sudden, the people were like, you know what, David, he he doesn't come out and ever spend any time with us. He just sits up there in the palace. We really like this Absalom guy. Absalom kept winning their trust day after day after day after day. In 2 Samuel 15, 12, we read this. The plot against the king gained strength, 
and Absalom's followers grew in number. You know, all of us are going to have times in our life where we receive bad news, news that instantly alters our hopes and our dreams and our goals for the future, that we thought we knew where the path was going to end, but now it's been snatched away from us. Maybe it's the death of a loved one or a divorce or you got fired from a job. Maybe it's a teen pregnancy. For David, this was now the, the second time that who he thought was going to be the next king was being snatched away from him. First, it was Amnon who had been murdered by his very own brother. And now Absalom, who he had thought, you know, one day when I die, he'll, he'll rightfully become the king. Now Absalom's taking that away. This is not the path that David wanted to walk. David's dream is gone. The destination seems unreachable. You know what David's response was to all this? He simply decided to give up. To just walk away from everything. He said to the people, he's like, I don't want Jerusalem to turn into a, a battlefield where it's Jew against Jew killing one another. He says, I'm just going to walk away from the whole thing. Now that's what he was saying publicly, but I think this had more to do with his dream dying, and here's why I say that. When David left Jerusalem, one of the priests who was still with David and sort of on David's side, as they were going out, he says to David, you know what? We brought the Ark of the Covenant with us. It's still on our side. Now the Ark of the Covenant had all of, of Israel's most valuable artifacts. All the things of God was there. And it was said that whoever had the Ark of the Covenant had the presence of God on their side. And basically, if you had the Ark of the Covenant, you were undefeated in battle. And so the priest says, <laughs> Absalom may think that he has one over on you here, but he doesn't because we still have the Ark. We still have the ark. But David doesn't care. His faith in God was still strong. He still believed that, that whoever had the ark, God was on their side. It's just that his dreams were gone. Everything that mattered for him for the future had been shattered. His firstborn was dead. His daughter's honor had been stolen. His secondborn son was now against him. That relationship with Absalom was lost. The respect of the citizens had been destroyed. His only option then was to go to war against his own citizens and that war would be against his son. So here's what we read in 2 Samuel 15, 25-26. The king said to Zadok, take the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. If the Lord is pleased with me, someday He will let me come back and see it and take, and, uh, take the place where it stays. But if he says he isn't pleased with me, then let him do what he knows is best. David knew that God can always be trusted but never manipulated. Let me say that again to you. God can always be trusted but never manipulated. So while his dreams may have died, his faith didn't die. And I want to encourage you with the exact same thing. You're going to have those times in your life where it seems like the destination is unreachable, that your dreams have died. You've got to ask yourself in that moment, what am I going to do? Am I going to keep my faith in God? Am I going to still trust God? Or am I going to try to manipulate the situation and still try to get that dream even though I know that it's beyond reach at this point? And try to manipulate the, the whole thing. 
See, all of us need to get to the place where we say, God, I don't understand this, but yet, let your will be done. That's what David does. He is disappointed. He's tired. He's discouraged. He's in tears. He's lost everything that is near and dear to him. But he didn't lose his faith. And so he says to God, look, you know what is best. And if it's your will for me to still be the king, then it'll happen. But if it's not your will, then it's not going to happen. Now later that day, Absalom enters into Jerusalem and claims the throne. While David wasn't looking for a fight, Absalom was. Absalom wanted his father dead. And so David's just leaving on his own. But Absalom sends the troops out after him. Absalom's mistake was he forgot who his father was. David had grown up out in the country. David as a boy had fought off the, the bears and the lions. He, he knew what guerrilla warfare was out in the country. The, the city fighting, that wasn't really David's thing. But out in the country, David knew what he was doing. And David and his troops, once they got pursued like that, and it was obvious that, look, we can't avoid battle, David's like, all right, we got to fight. And they slaughtered Absalom's troops. Now, David had ordered that Absalom be taken alive. However, Joab, David's right-hand man, decides to kill him. That's a very dangerous thing to do. You've been given an order by the king and told not to do it, but yet you go ahead and do it. But see, I think Joab was sick and tired of watching David over and over and over again fail to discipline his children, to follow through. And so Joab took matters into his own hands. When David gets the news of Absalom's death, here's what we read, 2 Samuel 18.33. David started trembling, then he went up to the room above the city gate to cry. As he went, he kept saying, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, I wish I could have died instead of you. Absalom, my son, my son. Absalom had been a traitor, a murderer, an insurrectionist. He was responsible now for the death of tens of thousands of Israelis. Yet David still says, I would have traded my own life for that of my son. David gets restored. He's now the king again. And then upon David's death, Solomon becomes the new king. You see now why Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs? Remember who I said he was writing it for? Yes, we get a lot from it. But who was he writing it for? Right, his kids. He wrote it for his kids. How do you be wise? How do you avoid being a fool? And he had seen so much in his family's life, all this drama. And he wanted his own kids to be able to avoid that. So what about you? What do you do when your dreams can't be reached? Do you get angry about it? Do you despair? Or do you still trust God and follow after Him? The David, David wept his way out of Jerusalem. He had no way of knowing that about a thousand years later, one of his very own descendants, a man by the name of Jesus, would be facing a very similar situation. Jesus was weeping to, to the point that it was like his sweat was like a, a drops of blood that was just coming out. Jesus is, is weeping because he realizes what's about to happen to him. That Jesus' dreams had been destroyed. That the, the path that, that he thought, man, this is where the destination is going to end. He realized it's going to end somewhere else. 
And Jesus is like, Father, this is not the script I would have written. Father, if there's any way we can change the script, then I don't have to be arrested. I don't have to be tried. I don't have to be beaten. I don't have to be mocked. I don't have to be executed. Father, please change the script. Let me get to the destination. But yet, not my will be done. Let your will be done. I pray that you'll respond the same way Jesus did. Remember, your direction, not your intentions, determines your destination. Most of the time, if you keep on that path, you're going to get to that very predictable destination. But sometimes, it's just unreachable. And so in those times that you realize that it is unreachable, remember these words of Solomon that we looked at a couple weeks ago. I'll close with this. Proverbs 3, 5-6. to Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all that you do, and He will show you which path to take. Join me in prayer. Father, we thank You for this day, and we thank You for the wisdom that we've been able to read about over these past six weeks in Your Word in this Old Testament book of Proverbs. We thank You that Solomon decided to to take all of his life experiences and all the wisdom that you gave him and and write it all down so that we now, many, many years later, could be able to glean from it and use it to help to change our lives. Lord, we thank you for the stories of the men and women in Scripture who went through some tough times, just like David did, his whole family and all the drama that they had. But Lord, we can learn from that. We can learn from it. And do the wise things that David did while avoiding the mistakes that he made. So Father, I pray for each and every one of us that are here today live or that are watching online. That Father, if we are at a place where our dreams have been crushed, where our hopes have been dashed, that the destination is unreachable, that Lord, we would still put our full faith and trust in You, that we wouldn't despair that we wouldn't get angry, that we wouldn't try to manipulate the situation, we would say, God, I I trust You. Lord, if in some way it is still Your will for me to get there, then you'll, You'll get me there, but Lord, not my will be done. Let Your will be done. Lord, I pray that this message has given peace to those who have heard it. Especially for those that feel like all their dreams have been just shattered. Lord, let your peace, which surpasses all of our human understanding and comprehension, guard our minds and our hearts in Christ Jesus. Jesus, thank you that you are a model for us as well of what it looks to to walk a path, maybe, that we, we don't want to go down but yet we do it anyway because we trust You. So Lord, as we just read, help us to trust You with all of our hearts and lean not on our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge You and You will direct our path. Again, thank You for these past six weeks and all that we've learned and all the ways that we've changed. Help us to continue to walk these lessons for the rest of our lives. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.